0: Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca.
1: I will be reading from Luke 15, verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Good morning, everyone. My name's Malcolm Billing and I have the pleasure of uh, working with the Eastern Canadian District of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And in that, my role is as Director of New Ventures, which is another way of saying, I get the privilege of working with our existing churches and our existing leaders to launch new communities of faith with new leaders that work in new ways to reach new people with the good news of Jesus. And in that, um, one of the things I get to do is visit lots of different churches and, and speak with them. Unfortunately, with COVID, I don't get to, to be there right now. Um, but in that process, one of the things that I notice is uh, very often I have this experience where I'm coming into a new place where others don't know me. I don't know them. I also have the experience, again, because we are such a diverse group of interacting in these communities with people who come from different cultures and who worship with different languages and that just sort of creates a a reality that I recognize in those spaces. I'm not necessarily an an insider but I'm in some senses an outsider and I think that that's something that probably many of us have experienced in sort of one way shape or form throughout our lives. You might have uh, emigrated to Canada and just had that experience of your education not being valued. Or um, as you've come to Canada, you might have had that sort of the sense that, hey, you don't do things quite the right way. You don't fit in with the way we do things around here. Or um, perhaps um, you've been in a setting at work where um, sort of your colleagues talk about um, stuff like like going to the cottage or skiing where you don't have anything to add. Or you've had the experience where, um, again, you've been been left out or sort of um, passed over for promotion because you don't have the um, extroverted personality or just the thing that people are looking for. Or um, if you're a student or you've gone through school, you might have had that experience of being bullied, um, being teased because of the way you look, the way you talk, or just what you're interested in. Um, Or... Um, this might have been your experience in church. Maybe you've had the sense that, hey, in the sermons, the examples, they're never for me. They're never about me. Or everybody always seems to sort of reach out and greet new people, new friends, and just, I'm not ever one of them. Um, That's certainly, like, as I look at that, I'd say, like, I've had those experiences. For me, I, I would point particularly to my experience as a, as a kid in school, sort of bullying and teasing was something that, that, that I struggled with and I wrestled with. And um, I have to say, like, that's something that, that's, that's left a mark. Um, the anxiety that I have in, in social settings, um, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the checking out of like, is this a safe space that I'm in? Um, again, questions about sort of worth and confidence. Like, I think I can't pretend that those haven't been impacted by that experience of being othered or marginalized. I think, again, like we think about being an outsider, like it can be um, a temporary unpleasant experience, but over time it can also sort of have these sort of deeper or profounder impacts. And, and again, I think my own experience, I'd say like, yeah, that's been true of me, even though um, Again, as somebody who's born in Canada as a white male, like the, in a lot of ways, I look like an insider. So today, what we're gonna be doing is looking at this experience of inclusion and exclusion, looking at the question of who's in and who's out through the lens of uh, Jesus's language of kingdom. Um, and we're doing this as a part of a sermon series through the Eastern Canadian District, looking at an invitation to life in the kingdom. In the biographies of Jesus, the good news that Jesus proclaims, like what we talk about as the gospel, actually came in the form of a proclamation about the kingdom, saying a new kingdom is coming, the kingdom of God, and the proclamation of a new king, Jesus. So as Jesus traveled throughout Israel, what he did was he talked and he showed what this kingdom life was like. And a lot of the times when he was talking, what he talked in were parables. Um, short stories intended to help help us understand like what does life look like in the kingdom? And so today we're gonna be looking at one of these parables from the gospel of Luke uh, chapter 15 that's called the parable of the lost sheep. And the parable is actually set up by a couple of verses that tell us why Jesus was telling this parable. It says, as the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him the Pharisees and the legal experts were grumbling, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So like this parable that Jesus is gonna go on to tell was told in response to, again, this this challenge. And as I was looking at that, what I would suggest is um, that that if, if you're not familiar with the Pharisees, if I were to simplify it, I'd say their primary focus, they were a religious group of Jews whose primary focus was to say, hey, we want to be faithful and live lives that are holy and righteous um, to, to, so that God's favor will return to the kingdom of Israel. So their concern was Jesus was hanging out with a bunch of people whose lives didn't line up with their lens. These, these tax collectors, like the problem there is the tax collectors were collecting funds that were actually going to uh, help the Roman occupation of Israel, right? Like they would be seen as traitors and um, sinners. As I think about sort of the term sinners, like the, what, what I think is being got at here is this idea that these were a group of people who were perceived as um, having done something or sort of being thought to have done something that was shameful or unforgivable. So again, you think about, um, yeah, foreigners, you think about um, prostitutes, you think about uh, lepers. Really, these were people who um, were viewed as not being a part of the community of Israel. Like they really were outsiders. So in an honor shame culture, such as Israel um, at the time, who you associate with has an actual reflection on you. So, so the Pharisees weren't just saying, Hey, like, like, I don't think this is, these are good people to be around. Like they were actually seeing that as Jesus hung around with the Pharise- hung around with the tax collectors and sinners, what he was doing was, um, Taking their their shamefulness, like their their identity as outsiders, onto himself, and as the Pharisees probably thought Jesus was um, casting himself as a prophet, like that shame was actually being ascribed to God. So, um, what Jesus does is is sort of not not back down. I don't think Jesus backs down, Um, but actually he responds with this parable or this story. And I think what's important to note is this isn't just a sort of a story. We sometimes think about parables as like timeless moral truths. Like this isn't just a timeless story. This is a story about what Jesus was specifically doing. Like this is a story about him and his identity. And so he goes on and says this, suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And uh, this, this was a rhetorical question. Jesus assumed that his audience would think, yes, absolutely, we would stay because it's valuable. And he goes on. When he finds it, when the shepherd finds it, he's thrilled and places it on his shoulders. And when he arrives home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, celebrate with me because i found my sheep, lost sheep. In the same way I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both his heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. So what's Jesus getting at with this story? I think for his original listeners, I think the story about the shepherd has at least two functions. First, I think it gets at the the reality that, um, this is something relatable. Like shepherds are something that, hey, when you're walking from town to town, this is something that you see. But I think secondly, the language of a shepherd for a first century Jew would immediately begin to trigger scriptural references. And those references are to a God who is a shepherd who cares for his flock. Um, We read, for example, in Genesis chapter 48, when Jacob is blessing uh, his descendants, he says, may the God who is my shepherd from the beginning until this day. Or in the beginning of Psalm 23, we read, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Or in Isaiah 40, like a shepherd, God will tend the flock. He will gather lambs in his arms and lift them onto his lap. So what Jesus is doing is he's telling a story that immediately is bringing to mind, hey, this is about God. This is about God's heart and the way he cares for people. But the twist is, this isn't just about the flock as a whole, but this is about that one specific sheep. Jesus is saying, sort of, as I am going out, um, as I am going out and spending time with these outsiders, like that's really reflecting God's heart, God's care for the lost, for the outsiders, for the marginalized. And that, as he's saying, in a sense, is by establishing this kingdom, like this is the reality about God that I want to bring to you, that I want to show in the way I'm doing things. In fact, I'd say the point is this. Jesus invites outsiders to become insiders in his kingdom. Again, when he's moving away from these sort of the places of religious power, from the spheres of influence of the Pharisees, the religious experts, and moving towards these people on the margins, what he's doing is he's saying, hey, like these people are important. They're a part of the kingdom. I want to bring them in. Um, Said another way, like what Jesus is doing is he's making tangible in his action of eating and welcoming these people, he's making tangible God's heart for those who are, who are lost. Think about the effect that this parable would have had um, on the original audience of the day. Um, again, as Jesus was telling this, this wasn't some academic debate between um, Jesus and the Pharisees. Like there was a whole group of people gathered around, a bunch of people who would have said like, yeah, like those, those ta- tax collectors and sinners, that, that's me. And imagine what, if you were in, that, in those shoes, what that would have felt like. Imagine you'd sort of heard about Jesus and, and maybe gone, hear him speak, seen him sh- do miracles and you began to go, wow, like this guy's, he's got really something special. There's something, God's, God's favor is on him. There's, God's doing something here. That's not just for um, the people I think it's for. Like there's people like me who he's healing, who he's inviting me in, who he's spending time. And, and you begin to wonder, maybe, maybe that's actually for me. Like maybe that there's honor available for me. Um, but then Jesus is challenged by some of the most godly people that you know, like people who you go, okay, if somebody knows the will of God, it's these folks. And the challenge that they have is you. He says, like Jesus is hanging out with them. And that sort of the tone of being despised, of being, yeah, disgusted with you, like like reflects your worst fears about um, what others think about you and, and what God must think about you. But Jesus doesn't back down. Jesus doesn't go like, oh, I guess you're right. He reminds you that you are the very focus of the work of God's heart. Like the very reason he came to earth was to go after you, to invite you in. You're worthy of being an insider. Jesus wants to spend time with you. And as you begin to accept that identity, like not only is that, okay, God sort of accepts you, but he actually celebrates, he rejoices as you come home. And really, like, again, this is, this is the narrative of Jesus's life. Like he came from his heavenly father to earth, like just as the shepherd came into the, into the wilderness to look for the sheep, Jesus came here to look for the lost and to the marginalized. And his death and his resurrection were really the ultimate symbols of him bringing around the reality that outsiders can become insiders and become valued members of God's family. If I'm honest, I wish, um, I, wish I could go back to my 10 year old self and tell the, him this story. I wish I could say like, Malcolm, like, I, know, uh, I know there's nothing good about being bullied. I know, I know this experience is, is no, no fun. But, but these people, they're not the place where your worth, where your acceptance comes from. Your acceptance comes from your heavenly father. Like the love of Jesus, like the sacrificial love that he gave, like that's the space of worth and of welcome and of being in that's available to you. And I can't go back. Like the reality is I can't change that. But as I begin to meditate on this truth and as I begin to sort of process it um, there is something about it that speaks to the 10-year-old self inside of me. And I'm not saying that this transformation is complete, but I would say, as I've begun to internalize this reality, um, as I've realized that sort of my status as an insider doesn't come from anything I do, um, but rather it comes from the work that Jesus has done, that I'm valuable to God in the way one sheep is valuable to the shepherd, I begin to understand on a heart level that I'm an insider in God's kingdom. And something shifts. Like I think there's a peace that's available to you and to me. Jesus wants to offer us a sense of belonging, to give us a voice and a source of power that comes from our relationship with him. This shift is what it means to me when in the ECD we talk about this idea of experiencing the fullness of life fit in the kingdom. And I know I want more of that for me and I want more of that for you. So most of us have had this experience of feeling like an outsider, at least in some way, but some of us also have had the experience of being an insider in some way. So, I just want to pause and encourage you to reflect on your own experience and ask just these questions. When have you experienced being an outsider and where have you experienced being an insider? So, just Take a few seconds, you can think on your own, talk with a friend, someone you're next to, um, and then we'll come back. So (laughs) I'm sure we all had sort of different examples. For some of you, maybe you were thinking about a sports team where you just sort of felt, hey, there was a great connection, or maybe it was a youth group you were a part of um, that just, again, there was was just a real sense of camaraderie. Maybe, sort of on the flip side, that experience of, of trepidation and anxiety going to a new school where you felt like you knew no one, or um, being in a workplace where everyone was 30 years older than you. Again, we've, we've all had those experiences of just not feeling quite at home. So, for those of us who follow Jesus, I'd say. Um, whether we sort of have the experiences of feeling like outsiders or feeling like insiders, we are insiders. And so I'd suggest that as insiders, um, we're being invited into something else through this parable. I'd suggest that we're being invited to imagine a place where insiders join Jesus in welcoming outsiders. Again, I think this is the power of parable. Like why Jesus talked in story is because it wasn't a, hey, here's a step-by-step manual of how to live life. Instead, we're being invited to fill in the end of the story to go, okay, imagine a place. Imagine a place where insiders join Jesus in welcoming outsiders. And as I imagine that place, um, again, (laughs) I don't have all the answers, but, but I imagine a place where everyone recognizes when somebody's feeling uncomfortable. I imagine a place when, um, when people see obstacles that exist for people to, to feel at home and remove them. I imagine a place where um, people prioritize to getting, to getting to know other people, particularly those who are a little different than themselves. And if that sounds hard to bring about, it is. Like, <laughs> certainly it feels that way with me. And I think that, that there's a lot of reasons why this isn't easy. For me, at at the end of the day, I think what it comes down to is like people are different and it takes work to sort of work across those boundaries and those, those divides and figure out the connection across culture, language, age, and just life experience. So I don't think it's natural, but I do think this is sort of the call of the church. The church is that place where insiders are encouraged to join Jesus in welcoming outsiders. And it was intended, right, like what is the church? The church is intended to be a manifestation of God's kingdom, a place where everyone belongs regardless of sort of race, of sex, of um, wealth or status or prestige. It's Jesus' love, the extending, Jesus' extending of the love of the Father that creates that community. And so as the body of Christ, this is what we're called to embody but it certainly isn't something that I would say the church has always um, represented well. I think for too many people, like when they look to the church, they see a place of exclusion and of condemnation. And what Jesus was doing in the parable and describing and when he challenges the Pharisees is actually, I think, relevant here. Like when he talks about Um, in, in the language of the parable, that there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their lives. Like what Jesus isn't doing, to be clear, is developing a theology of justification about whether or not there's people who don't need to repent. Like that's not what's going on. But what he is doing is pushing the Pharisees on their approach, focusing on themselves and on their own sort of righteousness and right living rather than focusing on the lives of others. And and here's why I think that's true. Because in scripture, I'd mentioned before, sort of the image of the shepherd very often has to do with sort of God as the shepherd of the flock. But there is a second really common usage. And that second common usage is um, the shepherds being the religious leaders of Israel who are intended to care for people. And um, the reality is is that the language of shepherding is often used in in condemnation. Like in Ezekiel chapter 34, um, the prophet Ezekiel condemns Israel's leaders saying, doom to Israel's shepherds who tended themselves. Shouldn't shepherds tend the flock? Like Jesus here is challenging the Pharisees because they were the ones who are supposed to be going out and going after the lost and the marginalized, the outsiders. And he has come because that isn't being done. Um, And so as the people of God, like as we strive to follow God, I'd say like this challenge that existed in Ezekiel's day to the the religious leaders of Israel, the challenge that Jesus put before the Pharisees is actually the same challenge that's before us. How much are we embodying our Father's heart, our Heavenly Father's heart for the lost, for the least? And I don't think this is a comfortable question. At least for me, I always feel like there's more I could do. (laughs) Sort of what's that one more thing? But I don't think what Jesus is getting at is sort of intending to surface in us feelings of guilt or shame or inadequacy. Like this isn't a, you need to do more, strive more, be more, accomplish more. Rather, like what he's getting at, I think, comes clear in this language in the passage about celebration and about joy. He talks about the celebration of the shepherd's friends over the lost sheep and parallels it with the joy in heaven over one lost person. I think what he's calling out um, is that... Um, is that, that that heart disposition of the Pharisees, like their lack of celebration was, prob, was what was, it was not just that they weren't doing it. It was that they, that they actually didn't think it was important. They didn't value it. They didn't rejoice when Jesus was doing this. And so, um, again, I think this is a question for our heart. Like, as we look at this, like do we value those on the margins in the same way as God? Are we thinking about them? Are we desiring them? to experience this love, this this sort of bringing in love in the same way we have. Um, I mean, I, I think this is an area I can grow in. And I think if we're grounded in this parable, if we're grounded in Jesus's heart for the outsider, I think it helps us to have a both and posture when it comes to... Um, a response that that on the one hand, like this parable is certainly something that speaks to all of us to say, hey, this place of security, safety, of welcome, this place of being an insider in the kingdom, this is for all of us. So there's a, hey, we want this for you. But there's also this other element, which is saying like, hey, like Jesus calls us friends, not servants, because he wants us to love and long for the same things that he longs for. He wants us to desire, um, yeah, for others to have the same experience. And so that's why, again, in the ECD, in the Eastern Canadian district, when we talk about um, experiencing the fullness of life in the kingdom of God, we also at the same time talk about inviting our neighbors and nations to do the same, that both of these, it's not we have to do this out of guilt or it's only about us, it's about these two together that really is what Jesus is pushing at. So how can we respond? I think there's lots of ways, but I thought of at least three. I think the first one I wanted to suggest is I wanted to encourage for some of you, it might make sense to spend time with this parable. I know for me, um, reading scripture, meditating on it, chewing on it is just a way where I can take um, this this intellectual understanding of God's love and, and go like, bring it into my heart in a deeper way. And this passage in Luke 15 is followed on by a couple more parables sort of getting at this same idea. And I'd say like if if you need, again, a taste of God's love, a fresh experience of it, this is a great place to go. Second, I want to suggest that you tell this story to your kids or to the next generation. Um, as I think about my, my daughters, um, I wish that I could protect them from bullying, from hurt or from ever feeling like outsiders in this world. But the unfortunate reality is like, I can't do that. But what I do want to do, and again, maybe you have, maybe it's not child, your kids, maybe it's your grandchildren, maybe you've got nieces or nephews. Again, as you tell this parable in language that they can understand, maybe you can begin to ground them in an understanding of their heavenly father's heart for them and their worth comes from him. And lastly, I want to encourage you to think about like, what, who is Jesus asking you to connect with? I think as we think about this COVID season, one of the things that that certainly I think is true is for those who have felt a little bit on the outside or on the margins traditionally, like this has been a season where that's been even more true. And so maybe there's somebody coming to mind to you. Don't, don't wait, send them a text, send them an email, give them a quick call. This is just a, a chance for us in tangible ways to say, welcome, we see you, we value you. And, and again, I go, I don't know who that is, but, but I, I know that there's somebody on my mind. So as I conclude this message, I just wanna say, and I just, my prayer for you really is this, wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus, wherever this COVID season finds you, my prayer is that you would know that Jesus loves you, that you belong in his kingdom, you're a part of his family, and he wants you to share in his joy as he brings others into his kingdom as well. So the well, it's been such a pleasure to be with you this, uh, this Sunday. Um, again, as uh, we normally do, we, we ha- end the service with a, a good word, a benediction. Just again, I think it's, it's an expression of blessing over you. I really wanted to bless you with these two things. I think like, our, our Bible is full of languages of the story of what it means to be loved, beloved of God. And so my prayer is that this week you would experience in a fresh way a touch of our Heavenly Father's love. And on the other hand, I wanna bless you, um, again, with just the the desire to um, make others feel welcome in the places where you have influence, sort of in your home groups, in your families, um, in your neighborhoods, and just that that those wouldn't be a one more thing on your to-do list, but that they would really be an outpouring of, of just a, an experience of the way in which God has touched your heart. So just bless you that, that. have a great week.